Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Liberals hang on to win two by-elections in Toronto. Looks like uh, Marcy Ian has uh, won the election in uh, Toronto Centre and I want to congratulate her on her victory and wish her well. And I hope that she will do a, um, a good job on behalf of the people in this community. They really, really deserve it. And at this moment in time, they really, really need it. Saskatchewan voters make their choice in the latest election during the pandemic. I gotta tell you, I'm feeling pretty good tonight. Last week, we had a couple of big honking rallies for a strong Saskatchewan. And tonight, we're celebrating a, a big honking election win. And a conservative motion to investigate the federal government's response to the COVID-19 pandemic passes. Every MP, regardless of political stripe, has a job in the middle of one of the biggest crises that our country has faced to be asking these questions on behalf of their constituents in good faith to chart a path forward. It's Tuesday, October 27th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Susan, thank you for being with us today. Good morning, Mark, and uh, everybody out there. So the by-elections were closer than some people expected. The share of the vote that went to the Liberals in these two strongholds was down from the last federal election a year ago, but they still won both seats. What do you conclude from the two by-elections in Toronto? Well, it's interesting because a year ago, um, for anybody who's forgotten the olden days before the pandemic, there was an election a year ago, and it was it was a rough election for Justin Trudeau, and it it rattled his support even in places um, where liberals are strong, but these two ridings still sent liberal MPs to Ottawa a year ago uh, with more than fifty percent of the vote. Uh, a clear majority, which is not all that common. Uh, one was Finance Minister Bill Nemorno, one was a guy named Michael Levitt. Both of them, for various reasons we've talked about, are gone. Um, and so Justin Trudeau had to replace them. He did not get more than 50% for either one of the new candidates. Marcy Ian, a former CTV broadcaster, is uh, Bill Morneau's replacement in Toronto Centre, and a woman named Yara Sachs is the new MP from York Centre. But they had, each of them uh, got there or won their seats with some serious and interesting challenges. Uh, Marcy, uh, Marcy Ian won, yes, but she was running against the new Green Party leader who had also run in 2019, Annamie Paul. Annamie Paul didn't crack double digits a year ago, this time she won with almost a third of the vote. Uh, she, she came second, pardon me, with uh, with 32.7% of the vote. So that's kind of interesting. That shows you that the Green Party leader, the new Green Party leader, could be as serious a force out there as Elizabeth May was. Uh, she's an interesting person, and she made a dent in, uh, in a liberal stronghold of Toronto Centre. Uh, the Conservatives um, came second in the other riding, uh, running a, a, a man from the Filipino community, which is very strong in that uh, in that riding. But it shows that Aaron O'Toole, who has been saying he is a GTA candidate, uh, he, he's from Durham, it shows that Aaron O'Toole is, is making a dent there in Toronto. So, you know, everybody's been saying that uh, elections reward governments that are in power. You know, uh, we've seen a lot of that happening. 
including in British Columbia over the weekend and Saskatchewan last night. But uh, but Justin Trudeau had a run for his money in those two Toronto ridings, and I think that's going to get him thinking about how soon he wants to provoke an election. Now, something that may push him in the other direction, though, is the fact that uh, all of the parties that have run in elections provincially in the last month or so have all won majorities, including the Saskatchewan party yesterday in Saskatchewan, a fourth straight majority government uh, so and a third straight incumbent victory. Uh, so does that does that also, from a federal political perspective, suggest that there is uh, that there is that voters are choosing the security of of the party that's in power over the risk associated with a change at a time when there's a crisis yeah this is um it, this is actually a huge trend out there and it's not just in canada i i was told actually one of trudeau's closest friends on the international stage is Jacinda Ardern from um new zealand and just last week she won uh, she turned a minority into a majority as well. And Trudeau must be looking at all these examples in New Brunswick. Blaine Higgs turned his minority into a majority. It's The votes aren't final yet in B.C., but it looks like John Horgan has done the same. Trudeau's got to have a little case of election envy about that, you know, that it would be nice to have a do-over of that minority result in 2019 and, and, um, and turn it into something more stable that could last four years. The one the one place that we don't want that trend, or I'll say I don't want that trend to continue, uh, is in the United States. And we see that in the United States is holding a, a very different election right now, where it's not clear that voters want stability or continuity. All the polls are indicating, and we know about the polls, all the polls, though, are indicating that um, that Americans are in a change mood as well, just like they were four years ago. But that's where COVID is an election issue. I think the big difference between these elections that have reinforced major- minorities or reinforced the governments in power and the one we see happening in the United States. I think the big difference between those kind of elections is how much COVID is an issue. And I think we in Canada um, at the moment just want, we don't want any more change or crisis here. Uh, The United States seems to be living in a perpetual state of it at the moment. All right. Speaking of the coronavirus crisis, the Conservatives uh, passed a motion yesterday to dig deeper into the federal government's handling of the crisis. Uh, This is one of a series of motions the Conservatives have been trying to bring forward. This one actually passed, unlike motions last week that were well documented and covered. Um, What do you make of this and, and, uh, and what's at play here politically? Well, it, it is. Uh, I, I was reading the motion again this morning. It is massive. It, it is indeed massive. There are 16 different things that the Standing Committee on Health is being ordered to study. Everything from vaccines to the COVID app to mask wearing advice and Canada's relationships with the World uh, Health Organization. So it is massive. The um, the study that the health committee is is embarking on and over it's over just 30 days so this is going to be a quick but deep dive into how the government handled the 
pandemic, what is at stake here, of course, is uh, an attempt by the Conservatives to show that somebody could have handled this better and and actually start framing the next election as an election or a referendum on Justin Trudeau's handling of this crisis. Whether Canadians are in the mood for that kind of um, deep dive, it's a very different motion. I'd say, I'd venture to say it's a more serious motion than what we saw last week with trying to set up a committee on corruption. I, I think this is another attempt by the Conservatives to put Justin Trudeau in a box, of course a box, and define him in a way that he doesn't want to be defined, but using the pandemic as the um, as the wedge to uh, to make all those decisions. So it's gonna, it's, it, it's a massive, massive mandate for the committee and requires when when the Liberal government uh, says that it's going to require a lot of work by the public service, they're not kidding. It's going to devote a huge amount of public service resources into producing all these documents and emails for this committee. But it should produce some interesting stories and uh, and questions and choices that were made. Uh, the, right. the, the dispute yesterday was about whether the motion, the, the mere study of this is going to endanger the delicate contracts and procurement deals we have with various companies for vaccine right. Um, but uh, it looks like uh, the Liberals have gone along with they have to go along with it. Uh, they uh, they lost that vote. All right, just quickly as we wrap up, Susan, the Prime Minister did an appearance yesterday with the Canadian Chamber of Commerce and was asked questions about the expected budget update that's coming. Uh, and uh, he seemed to suggest that uh, we're, as a as a country, we're going to keep spending in this crisis, and that uh, we'll we'll figure it all out later. I'm I'm paraphrasing here, and and that's not how he expressed it. But uh, he talked about the requirement to continue investing at this time uh, rather than try to rein in spending. Yeah, you know, I, to be fair to him, I think he's taking a bit of heat from this, especially from the, you know, the more fiscal conservatives. I I think he probably would have had a different answer to that if we weren't in a second wave of COVID. I, I think we are seeing a very different government plan than even that they envisioned in August. So the spending isn't over yet. That, that's the, the fact of it, because the, the crisis isn't over yet. The... Um, We've been hearing a lot of talk from public health officials, not politicians, that the the worst is not over yet. In fact, the second wave could be worse. Uh, there's a lot of economic devastation out there, a lot of people afraid uh, going into the winter. And I I don't think Justin Trudeau can, can put a, an anchor, as they say, under this because there's no anchor yet under COVID. It's interesting that Ontario is going to have a budget ne- next week. Yeah. But um, Ontario... Uh, is reliant on the federal government, as they keep saying, to keep pouring money into this, you know, this this sinkhole we're calling COVID spending. So um, I, I think Justin Trudeau can't afford to put any anchors down because the spending has not stopped. All right. Susan, great to have your insights on all of this today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mark. That's Susan Delacorte, columnist for the Toronto Star. Now is the perfect time for Parliament to be working together 
to be questioning whether what we're doing in terms of a response from the federal government is working. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In McLean's, Paul Wells makes the argument that this parliament may be broken. Wells writes, We have a government that is shocked anyone would believe it capable of doing the sort of things it does all the time, and an opposition that advertises its frivolousness with its grandest gestures. The rest of us have the luxury of ignoring them, but they're stuck with one another. Not for much longer, though. Sooner or later, they'll be back on the campaign trail, demanding that we settle their differences for them. In the National Post, Chris Selly argues Patty Haidu should have been fired even before she was caught not wearing a mask. Selly writes, This controversy will fade away, but it's not as if this would be Haidu's first offence. At the same time she was telling Canadians to lock down, she took four round trips from Ottawa home to Thunder Bay. And it hardly seems worth mentioning her defences of China's handling of the pandemic in the early days. It doesn't really matter what went on with her mask, It matters that she was still in a position to create the controversy. In an editorial, the Ottawa Sun argues, a pandemic response probe is needed now, not later. The Sun writes, what if some of the things the federal government is doing to tackle the pandemic aren't working? What if some of their endeavors aren't accomplishing much or are even backfiring? These are reasonable questions. So much of what is happening right now is unprecedented. It's important to stop and ask, whether or not these are the right decisions. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Canada's Environment Commissioner releases her fall report later today. CPAC's Martin Stringer has a look at what we can expect. Mark, the Commissioner of the Environment and Sustainable Development, Julie Gelfand, will release her report to the House of Commons today. And two of the three sections of her report will look at very high-profile and important follow-ups on previous audits and investigations by the Environment Commissioner. One focus will be a follow-up audit of the transportation of dangerous goods in Canada. In 2011 and 2015, the Environment Commissioner looked into and found shortcomings in how both Transport Canada and Canada's energy regulator were complying with their responsibility to ensure that dangerous goods are transported safely. So it'll be very interesting to see what Ms. Gelfand finds in today's follow-up five years later. The second audit is a follow-up to the scathing report she issued in the spring of 2019, just last year, when she looked into how the federal government was implementing and living up to its sustainable development strategies and safe and healthy community policies. Ms. Gelfand found serious shortcomings and a lack of clarity in the federal government's policies and practices. So, Mark, it'll be interesting to see how she follows up on that subject as well. The Environment Commissioner's report will be tabled in the House of Commons and will be followed by a press conference in Ottawa and by teleconference at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will make an announcement and speak with the media, along with the Minister of Families, Ahmed Hussein, and Deputy Chief Public Health Officer, Dr. Howard Nijou, before attending question period this afternoon. And Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau will make a funding announcement in support of farm workers in British Columbia. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, October 27th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.